This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Do you wonder whether or not you should spank your children? Then read my third book, No Hitting, a short guide on why spanking is unnecessary. You may download the book for free at everythingvoluntary.com or purchase it in paperback at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. So these are like little five-hour energies. I think so. Yeah, they're kind of the same shape. Ketone aid. Yeah. So so where'd you get these? Ketone esters. It's it's, Your body produces them naturally. Um, But yeah, they've isolated them. And and if you're fasting, Mm -hmm. your body, your liver will, I think you're... Kidneys, too, will produce them. Ketone ester. Yeah. When you burn fat, your body produce ketones. Okay. That's your body. It's an alternative energy source that uh, all humans, in fact, most animal life can do. And, uh, I mean, we think we need to burn glucose, but that's really, if you look evolutionarily, uh, you know, hunter-gatherers, that's, you know, the, mm-hmm. I mean, even in medical school, my son's saying that's what they're they teach is that we're kind of adapted for a hunter-gatherer diet. They rarely had honey and um, fruit. It was very seasonal. and yeah. They didn't um, have tropical fruit. Well, people in the tropics people did. People in the tropics probably had but, more. Yeah, like right. obviously Northern Europe, yeah, you know, but where even, our people come from didn't. But even <laughs> then, um, I was reading something the other day. There's, you know, there, there are a few hunter-gatherer troops down in the, uh, down in the tropics still. Well, yeah, like and, Amazon has one or two, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And they, but all the fruits and vegetables, things like that, that's not enough. They want meat. That's, you know, and fatty meat, preferably. And yeah. that's kind of, and, and in some parts of the world, like you look at the Inuit, they, that's about all they eat is fatty meat. The Inuit, no vegetables. do you know much about the Inuit? Do they, Eskimos. they probably do a lot of fish. Those aren't, that's not very fatty, is it? Oh, it can be, yeah. Can it be? Okay. And uh, do they do, I'm just curious what percentage of their meat is fish and, and land animals. Well, they eat a lot of seal. Seal. Okay. That's right. And that's what uh, walrus, those kind of thing. Yeah. I wonder what that stuff tastes like. Have you ever... What's the I, most exotic thing you've had? Because <laughs> I know you used to raise rabbits and you, we bought some from you once. That's To me, I've that's had, exotic, I've but had, to you, that's not. I've had guinea pig in Peru. What was that like? Um, they're kind of... Um, it's, it's hard to describe. It's I actually like it better than rabbit. Rabbits, white meat, and it's kind of, I don't know, I don't like chicken breast and that kind of thing, but it's it's a little darker meat, it's more fatty, and they normally will cook it to where it's um, with the skin on, so they scald it, take the, the hair off, and then they roast it, and the skin gets crispy, and it's kind of like, like you would a, a pig, and so it's, it's a little more fatty and a little more dark. Guinea pigs are about that big, right? How much meat do you get on one? Well, the... Pet ones you get around here aren't that big, but down in Peru, they get bigger. Okay. they've developed them to where they'll get up to about eight pounds. Wow. So, like like that big, maybe? Yeah. So, you get a decent family meal out of them. That's like a rab- rabbit yeah. size. Yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah, like a wow. medium rabbit size. But, they're, but the mo- ones you get around here are very rare. Actually, I, I found I got a male and I'm starting to breed them, but I haven't got very far with it yet. <laughs> are you going to try to size them up? Yeah. Kind of that way. Do they, um, Peru, don't they also have those really soft chinchillas? That their fur is like super soft. Babe, I'm not I sure. I think, I think they are that. South American, so they're. But I'm not. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I haven't read much of them. Peru. They've also got uh, alpacas and llamas. And llamas, all that. Eating those. 
Do they eat no, those there? I haven't I tried so. that. That they do, but it's not as common. Yeah. Wow, guinea pig. That's funny. My my daughter bought a hamster a couple months ago. He's just this little guy, little rat, little mouse yeah, size I've, guy. And and I've eaten balut in the Philippines. What is that? It's uh, duck eggs uh, that are uh, incubated. Uh, they're fertile, so they incubate them for okay. like sixteen days. B a l u t. And then they boil them and you eat them. <laughs> and wow. then they got a little duck embryo in there. None of the bones and stuff have formed yet. So it's just they, all. They are, but they're very soft. So they're, you so know. So eating them isn't an issue. They don't get stuck yeah. in your throat or anything. The no. cartilage. Type. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's more like, yeah. It's supposed to be really healthy, but it's, it's popular food in the Philippines. Wow. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, I mean, stuff that we would just run away from that, that a lot of other people eat. I know like, uh, you can go to places, I think, like in India and probably Bangladesh and those places where you can get like seasoned, dry, trail mix style crickets yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Insects used to be a big thing with a lot of indigenous. Yeah. Well, I saw a protein. thing when I was getting into paleo and stuff. I got, I saw a thing. Somebody was making like a, they were trying to sell like a, like a little cricket mm-hmm. farm that you can buy for your kitchen. It was like a kitchen um utility or appliance so that you can grow your own crickets and then kill them and eat them yeah. and stuff <laughs> i don't know i don't know that's going to catch on here yeah, i'm not sure it will yeah but maybe it's big in, in in asia wow so guinea pig um yeah i don't i don't really like eating i don't really like eating like meat off the bone mm-hmm. like i mean i will but like fried chicken or like seeing a, a fish yeah or like when you see the duck and you see the head and the eyes are gone. Yeah. I try to, I, I want my meat. I want to pretend my meat is not, you know, it's just meat. Yeah. But, you know, I guess it's just. It, it's you know. kind of how what you're exposed to, I think, when you're young. So I will say I will try any meat if it's the meat. But you, and like you can a, tell me what it is. You can say this is crocodile, this is guinea pig. But if it's just like slices of the meat. But if you give me like the animal. <laughs> you got a rope like, sitting uh, on your plate with its toes and head and everything yeah. on it that's yeah so i'll I'll try anything but it's got to be just the meat i don't know maybe i would try it but so these ketone yeah so esters, you wanted to you wanted to drink these so yeah i, so yeah, I haven't eaten since suggest- dinner last night okay yeah and i haven't eaten for about 18 hours or so <gasps> myself so uh and i've never tried these i'm i do a lot of intermittent fasting i and i eat a ketogenic diet so the and i rarely cheat i mean later today is my so My this could be a Jim Jones experience for us. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I know people, <laughs> your, like I said, your body naturally produces them. It shouldn't be a big deal. And I don't know if I'll even fill them because of the way I eat. But we'll see. Yeah, you might You might already. Well, I mean, it seems packaged pretty uh, standardly. So yeah, had the little thing you had to take off the top. But yeah, it looks this kind of the size of one of those little five-hour energies. Yeah, so this is a KE1 ketone aid. So we'll give that a try. Performance enhancing drink. Here we go. Oh, no, not bad. A little different taste, but have you had it? You haven't had the five air energies. They're kind of like that. They don't taste good. They're kind of they kind of hit you. They're kind of sour and fruity and stuff. No, I haven't tried. <sighs> wow. Okay. You know, and I like yesterday. I went on a ran eleven kilometers, and I did that after fasting twenty hours. Now, so, why would it say not for pregnant women or children? I don't Is that just, just a CYA cover your ass? Yeah, I, yeah. I probably yeah, I think so because if you think about it, babies that everybody as a baby is in this state with ketones. I would think so. Yeah, because they're you want me to have yeah, two. Yeah, have two of them. He said, yeah. I, I questioned that. He says, no, it's it's safe. It just that way you're sure to get enough to really fill it. For some people, half a bottle. Is supposed to be enough? You know, I think my brother, my little brother is is trying to do ketogenic. Yeah. I'll have to tell him to listen to this. And, but. and I'm normally against doing these supplements because your body will produce them on their own. Well, yeah. It seems like if you're following the diet and you're doing mm-hmm. what you need to, then Don't you wouldn't really, need this. Yeah. This I, is like right. maybe a shortcut for people who are either trying and, to get started. And or, after my experience a few weeks ago, I wish I'd have had some of these and we'll get into that later. Hmm. I will say it's not as good the second time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it says peachy on it's it. It's tolerable, but it's a little, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to chase it we'll with some water. Is that okay? You think? Yeah. It should be fine. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we wouldn't want anything with glucose <laughs> in it. Might counteract, or I don't know how it would affect it. But. <clears throat> All right, but I know I, I was thinking one thing that's kind of always bugged me. I think there's one area of that people don't really think a lot of about is it's like in the medical industry. Uh, you've got there's there's kind of a gap there, and and a government kind of stands in the way of innovation and so forth. But what you've got is, uh, and what I've seen, and it hit pretty hard in the last uh, few weeks, is doctors are taught minimally about nutrition. In fact, my son's in medical school right now. He looked up in his curriculum, six hours. That's how much they teach them in nutrition. Okay, so they teach six hours in nutrition, and what are they teaching during that six hours? You can't learn much in six hours about nutrition. Well, you can't learn much, but it's also got to be probably... FDA approved food oh, exactly. pyramid stuff, right? Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. And then when, well, I mean, they do state that we're adapted more for a paleo or hunter-gatherer type diet. He says that that's what they're, you know, the, the instructors are teaching that. But yet you got that gap with the, you know, FDA approved. And then, and from my experience, what happens is, and I can go, I'll go into the whole experience. I think it's worth people understanding. Well, yeah, let's let's set that up. So we started we started the podcast kind of on a high note, but we're gonna go we're gonna go to a lower note now. Yeah. Because you had a real unfortunate experience lately with your family. So right. um I'll go ahead and I guess just let you tell the story no, how things started. Yeah, I'll just figure it out. Doctors rely on dietitians and dietitians definitely stick to the FDA approved. And anything outside of that to them is fringe. And, and you look at the, what's on the approved list of, well, you look at the professional organizations, which are all, I mean, they get legislation passed, things like that to kind of protect everything. And, yeah. um, but anyway, that, I mean, they get their sponsors or things like General Mills. And I mean, they do have some sponsors that are, you know, more, a little more healthy, but a lot of them are very heavy on grains and things like that. Um, that, uh, and, and anything that would be low carb to them is dangerous and scary. And it's, and, and be honest, there really has not been enough studies in it, uh, that have been done. But anyway, we'll get into that. Um, so I, I guess I'll just get it. What, yeah, just, I kind of got so. into the reason why I kind of got into diet years okay. ago is about 15 years ago, my father passed away from complications of diabetes. And he had, I mean, by the time he was my age, his feet were falling apart. He'd had strokes. He'd had all kinds of issues. And uh, it, anyway, we just essentially just saw his body essentially falling apart, eventually went on kidney dialysis. And Anyway, just it's just a slow death, and um, you know, but you know, the doctors, you know, give him his, you know, he's on insulin and so forth. But uh, there was really at that time, really not much talk about how to control it with diet, and that, that's starting to turn around now, from what I've seen. Anyway, um, my family, I noticed that there's a lot of them that uh, the women seem to be fairly long lived, but the men aren't. We put weight on pretty quickly, and uh, Seems like our bodies were out quicker than the women. My great grandmother lived to be 102. My uh, grandmother, she had more health type issues than her mother, but she, uh, you know, got gout and arthritis and all kinds of issues. But she got in, I mean, it was 94. And, uh, but anyway, I just noticed a few of the men. And so I thought, time, I, you know, started really diving into it. And I'd tried like the old Atkins. Before and it seemed to help me. I, I mean, even at thirty at work one time, we had donuts in the morning, and then a few hours later, all of a sudden, I was talking to somebody, and I, I just got dizzy and essentially passed out right on the floor from hypoglycemia. And I was just only about thirty years old, and then my feet started getting um, numb, and different kinds of health issues and esophagus issues. I had. I'd been in the Marines, so I did a lot of running when I was younger, but uh, it always was painful. I always had, it's considered like exercise-induced asthma, where I would cough for hours afterwards, just hacking cough for the rest of the day whenever I'd run. So it was not a pleasant experience. And anyway, so about, um, it's been over five years ago, 
you know, after just kind of experimenting with different things and, you know, we had a gym at work and I started going to that and I'd heard about the ketogenic diet. And so I thought, well, I'll, and, you know, I learned about, you know, ketones and it, I didn't never heard that, you know, I thought we always burned glucose and that was it. So I decided to give it a try and I started, um, uh, anyway, just started eating mainly just meat, fatty meat, especially in natural fats, cut out all the seed oils, things like that. Cause, um, you know, the, the manufactured seed oils and so forth and just, and eat a lot of, uh, and then more like green vegetables, things like that. And, you know, occasionally I'd eat an apple or not, you know, berries, but not a lot of, and not that I'd never cheat, you know, now when we had a birthday party, I'd cheat, but in general, I'd stay all the time. Yeah. And anyway, I found out that all this problems I'd had where I'd exercise and be getting that lightheaded hypoglycemia thing issue. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, that was, you know, where you just feel like you're starving all of a sudden and you get real weak. I, that all disappeared. In fact, I got to where I could fast 24 hours or even I've done 48 hours fasts with some intermittent fasting. And then I can, I can go run 10 miles and I don't have, I no longer have the, um, and some of the things to go away took a long time. Some of the things happened almost immediately. Um, I had to take a lot of extra salt and things like that because otherwise you start feeling a bit sick sometimes if in the, there's an adaptation phase. But uh, but a lot of health benefits happened right away. But the esophagus swallowing issues I had gradually went away over a year. Um, I had uh, my running. Um, it's no big deal now. I don't get the hacking forever afterwards, the asthma. And, and I had tried inhalers. I had tried everything and nothing worked. I and uh, oh, I was going to say my hands were starting to get to where I I'd bend them and it would hurt. So again, I don't know if so I'm joint getting, joint pain. joint pain. That's all disappeared. I mean, I I can anyway. I, I actually feel I, I, and I almost and most of all, growing up, I got sick all the time. I literally had um, chicken pox twice. I had mumps three times. I, I, I was sick all the time. And I think I figured out why. I did a 23andMe test and it, it indicated that I'm susceptible to celiac disease, which is uh, wheat gluten issues, I yeah, guess. gluten issues. And uh, so probably el eliminating that from my diet has probably helped. I've And then um, anyway, so I've stuck on that most of the time. And my wife uh, from the Philippines, you know, she – she tried it a few times. It was helpful for her, but for her, it was kind of, um, you know, she liked to rice, you know, you're growing up, you grow up with certain foods and that. And, and so she tried it now and then to use weight and it worked for her for that. But, um, it just, uh, but, but she'd always fall back and eat them. But, but then we, you know, she saw how much it benefited me though. And so she was a real proponent for me doing it. And, yeah. um, well, there's another experience that goes into that that kind of explains it. But there was a time when I went off it for a week. Um, their nep her nephew had a baby. We drove 17 hours down to um, Texas. And uh, unfortunately, the baby passed. And so we were there for about a week. And, you know, everybody brings food. And I just ate what everybody else did. <clears throat> yeah. On the way back, I got a – anyway, I – I just thought I pulled a muscle in my leg, but it turned out to be, and I was starting to run on it and everything. And then I couldn't even run halfway around the block. And I get in there, found out it was a blood clots in my leg. And I get in there and, um, doctor I mean, they did, did some ultrasounds on it. And sure enough, I ended up having to go on blood thinners and all that and found out I had all kinds of venositis where my, uh, veins are really, I've evidently had low grade inflammation all my life and it's been messing up with my veins and everything. And, um, so mm -hmm. do you think that switching your diet before kind of prevented this thing from manifesting later or you mean the blood clots or yeah, blood clots in this veinitis? I, I think or? what happened because I did a little research on it and it sounds like high carb seems to cause more issues with clotting than if you're, if you don't have that and you also get more, it's more inflammatory. And so, well, I'm just wondering what happened between the period where you changed your diet 
Right. You're eating well mm-hmm. and you don't have the clot issues. It might have happened. And then anyway. you had that week long. My younger brother's binge. already had a heart, of, heart attack and all kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I, I think, I think it's just because I went back. I probably, my veins were more inflamed and then that 17 hour drive. Cause even young people get those, you know, like long plane rides, things like that. Yeah. Um, poor circulation. Yeah, part of it's poor circulation because my veins are screwed up, but that was kind of over a lifetime of okay All right. inflammation, I think, is how those got messed up. But then the long ride is kind of what did it and not getting out and walking enough and probably should have – from now on, I'm going to take aspirin and I'm going to wear some compression socks and <laughs> whenever I travel and that kind of thing. But anyway, she saw that happen, and so she's going to convince I need to eat the way I've been eating – because she was worried because I, I could have died from that. And then she was so worried. And then, and so she just always – if she sees me ever have a cheat day, she gets worried. And, okay. uh, and that kind of thing. But anyway. <laughs> Slaps it out of your hand. No. Yeah. I'll eat it for you. I'm not on what eats in front of you. Yeah, a lot of cake. <laughs> I get indulged in the birthday cake. You know, the chocolate Costco birthday cake was kind of – <laughs> oh, that Costco birthday cake is so good. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. They're evil people over there. <laughs> yeah, so occasionally I'd, I'd do that. But anyway, anyways, I probably had to get into it now what this leads into. Um, you know, with the COVID going around and all that, we've been doing foster care for years. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot and, about that. Time. Yeah, and the last time we talked. And anyway, uh don't know how we got it. I mean, we, I, I, I don't know if it's just from taking kids around or whatever, but, um, I, I had fever, we, you know, I had a fever. I never lost sense of taste or anything. This was a month ago about? Or In October. October. About mid-October. Mid-October. Okay. And so anyway, just that one night I had a fever and I, you know, you know, it was no big deal. I've been a lot sicker throughout my life, but it, it's really about the, first significant symptoms I'd had in the last five years since getting on the ketogenic diet. I mean, as a kid, it was like I was sick. If I, I remember being about nine years old and not having a sore throat and runny nose and thought, wow, this is a, a strange feeling. I, yeah, am I dead? I, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It, so I was constantly sick as a kid. And I now I think it's diet related because, I mean, being almost 60 years old and all of a sudden not having that, the only difference is diet. Yeah. Anyway, um, it didn't, wasn't a real big deal for me. I just, I just, and I didn't, I never lost sense of taste or nothing. So just, you know, there's other flus going around. Didn't really, you know, but anyway, my wife, she insisted on taking care of me. Two days later, she came down with similar symptoms. And um, it, she, Called her doctor and all that, and she's being diet type two diabetic. You know, knew that if we didn't know if it was COVID or what it was, but uh, she didn't never lost sense of taste or anything. But she had a fever and um, just weak and all that, and so she was in bed. And um, how was her? How was her chest? It wasn't that bad. She'd have a cough now and then, but you know, I'd hear her cough maybe once every four hours. I mean, so it was, I've heard way worse. And so we just, her, her doctor did give her like um, some antibiotics to kind of, because he's worried about getting secondary, you know, she's had issues before when she's been sick with like pneumonia and that. So anyway, um, it just kind of went on that for about uh, eight days or so. And then she started getting better. And you know, I was bringing her like chicken soup to eat and things like that. And then I noticed that she's starting to eat crackers and I saw some gummy bears in her bed and things like that. And, um, you know, I just kind of said, Hey, hon, you really, you know, probably shouldn't be eating that kind of stuff. But anyway, she was getting better. And so she just, um, just feeling kind of weak. And then by the morning of the 10th day, all of a sudden she gets up and she starts saying something a little incoherent about one of the kids. It didn't make a lot of sense, kind of out of, and then, uh, and she got up to use the bathroom and she's, oh, I'm so weak. And anyway, she got back down and I just said, you say, she, you know, so you're not, f- f- kind of, kind of worried me when she was a little bit incoherent. And I said, so you're not feeling very good. I think, you think I should take you to the hospital? And she shook her head. Yeah. And so I, um, helped her get some clothes on. I took her to the hospital, to, to the, um, 
to the emergency room. And uh, they measured, and, you know, and she kind of just kind of walked her in. I mean, she was able to walk a little. You know, I kind of just kind of held her arm and got her in, but she was real weak. Um, got her in. They um, checked her O2 levels, and they couldn't measure them. They were so low. And then they tested her for COVID, and it, they do a real quick test there. It comes back in like half an hour, and it's positive. And so, anyway, they did some checking. They said, you know, they got her on oxygen. And, you know, but she was alert. With the oxygen, she seemed to be doing fine. So, I wasn't like overly, you know, concerned at that point. And then they said, well, we're going to have to get her a place over at Ogden Regional. And um, got her a room, go to room 704. And you can go and we'll get the ambulance to take her there. And you can just meet her there. And... Stupid me. I didn't even, and they never said anything. And I thought, and I, and I was told because she tested positive, I got to go get these foster kids tested. So I went, you know, I, you know, I just, so then they, the ambulance came, took her. And then I had to go get, check the kids out of school, get them tested, um, along with our adopted son. And, um, anyway, it ended up neither one of the foster boys, they both tested negative, but my, uh, our adopted son, he tested positive and so did I. So I'm assuming those symptoms I had a couple days before. And they, they said that we must have got it. Well, they don't know how because they said two days wasn't enough of an incubation period. I don't know if she got it from me, but anyway, we don't know how we got it because most places we went, we'd wear a mask and but we were in doctor's office. I was taking kids to the emergency room. I, you know, it it's it's all over. That, that seems like that's probably the most likely is yeah. the hospital just because that's the higher concentration right now. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I finally get over to the hospital to go to go see her, be with her, and they're like, "Sorry, it's locked down. You can't go into the COVID ward." Which, I mean, it was pretty distressing because I hadn't even given her, you know, decent hug. Or I just thought, you know, I'll just be able to meet up with her later there. And, and, they, and they didn't tell you, by the way, when you come back, you won't be able to see her, and you didn't ask. No, they did not say that. Yeah. They just said, in fact, they they made it sound like I would be able to go see her there. So I don't know if it's yeah. just them not understanding that, you know, it was enough earlier on that. Uh, it, it sounds like they don't want to say the wrong thing to you that would get you to not go take your kids to get tested and leave. Maybe. Because they need know. you to do that and they need you to not. Maybe. I don't and know. And you can't go in there anyways because you're not. Well, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to go in there because you're COVID positive yourself. It seems like that would be a pass to get in there. I would think so. But yeah. no, they don't. I, I think they're also worried about you bringing other things in. But. Anyway, okay. um, so anyway, you have to just to give people an idea what it's like. You end up having to call the nurses and find out how she's doing, you know, and it's how they're doing. She, they ended up having to intubate her first with just, uh, put a tube down your throat. Mm -hmm. And then they put, um, and then a week late after, well, not after two weeks of that, um, she was starting to do some better. And then they, but they said they can only do the down the throat tube for two weeks and they need to switch it to a trachea. So then they cut your throat and put a tube down your throat, I mean, in your, in your throat through a trachea tube. Mm -hmm. And so the, after two weeks, they switched her to that. But something happened during that time where she crashed and her oxygen levels got worse. And they do something called proning where they can put you on your belly and then they put you on your back and rotate you like, uh, they put you like 18 hours on your on your belly, face down, and then they eight hours on your back, and that seems to help. Um, and that that worked in the beginning. Why would that help? I wonder. Um, I think it's just maybe it gets your lungs inflating different whether you're on, and so, and I don't know if things pool in the back of your lungs or whatever when you're in just one position too long, but yeah, being perhaps. moved seems mm. to to help healing and. Uh, recovery. Uh, one thing we did is her, her doctor, he was good about keeping in touch and he suggested he'd heard. And so, and same with her nephew, her, my wife, half her family is our nurses <laughs> and her nephew down in Texas is an uh, emergency room nurse. And he knows a lot of, and, and he's dealing with COVID patients and all that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, one treatment that, uh, they're doing is what they call convalescence plasma, where they get the plasma from somebody who's recovered. 
so they have the antibodies and then they give the plasma to the patients and it helps them get them get rid of the virus and that seemed to actually work with her to, this is kind of a tangent do you know does plasma is there a plasma type blood type does blood type have to match no because i know they separate plasma out from your blood yeah okay, i, so I don't just, think that okay. has to match they just yeah it's separated out from your blood and so the blood type i don't think matters they just get okay. the plasma and it has the antibodies and, and that seemed to be effective and and uh they had a rule there at Ogden Regional that if um, you test negative twice and uh, you've been in there 21 days, then they could they could move her to another room where I could visit. So that anyway that happened. So I went in there and uh, I started. And about the only times I couldn't be there was during shift change. They required going, so I'd go home and eat, and then just go back. So I'd essentially spend in night and day there. They had a lazy boy there and I was essentially sleeping there. And then I'd be taking pictures of all the readings because her, all her family that's nurses, they understood what everything is and they'd give pointers. So you're sending it to them. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we were doing, uh, yeah. you know, the Facebook, uh, messenger and video calls and I'm taking pictures and sending them there of the different monitors and everything. And, um, and she was to- totally sedated at this time after she had, they put the throat tube in, she, got bad enough they had to put her heavily sedated and they put them on um paralyzing drugs to let the so the body will totally relax and let the machine do the work on her lungs so she's on a ventilator at this point oh yes the whole five weeks she was in a ventilator because i thought i thought the um ventilator was not a good thing like they did is it the only thing for some people you reach a level because i know that they talk about ventilator causing your body to give up. And so it's actually been, it's been bad for a lot of people to be put on the bed. Well, and I found some things out with some things we did that it's worse than I think people know. Okay. But, um, the, I, some people, they need the ventilator. I guess what happens is they get, their lungs are so bad that they get, they get tired and they can't where they get worn out. And so at least that's what was explained to me that they needed to put her on a ventilator because she just is getting too worn out trying to breathe on her own. And so, in some cases, it can help. But, um, well, I'll keep going, telling the story and explain what we saw. So, okay. after about – so, when I'm there, I notice the feed they're doing. They've got a uh, – they do like a tube feed. It goes down through your nose and the tube goes down all the way to your um, – top of your – through your stomach into the top of your small intestine. And it's just a – and they're doing like a 24-hour continuous drip. And since she's diabetic, they're saying, oh, yeah, they're giving her the high-protein one. And I look at it, and I said, anyway, we, I actually took a picture of it, had my daughter look at it, and she looked it up, looked at all the macronutrients in it. The dominant in it was all, and it's full of carbohydrates, sweeteners, and all kinds of stuff. And her blood sugars had been ranging up in the mid-200s, like 230 or so. And I, so I, I raised some concern right then. Um, in the ICU and I talked to the doctor and I said, can you do something about that feed? She's diabetic and this is high carb. That, you know, that's, you know, that's no wonder you're doing that. And I said, based on the way I've, you know, my diet, I know that's inflammatory. It's, you're, it's causing a lot of issues with all these drugs you're using. You're fighting against it. And he just, um, he just, you know, he admitted to me that they, he doesn't have a lot of training in nutrition. And, uh, but so they kind of rely on the dietitian, nutritionists that they have. So they sent her in and that just turned into a, anyway, they're, they're pretty much just raised on the food pyramid and, and so forth. And they, and to them, any, my suggestion of doing something, a higher fat, getting rid of the carbs and doing you know, more of a ketogenic type input. That was, she says, oh, it'll kill him. You can't live without carbohydrates. And and I'm like, haven't you ever heard of gluconeogenesis? Your body creates the glucose you need from other things, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, but they, anyway, they, she just got mad and stomped out. But uh, they did do one change on that. I think she found, they found something with a lower c- carb and, um, and they supplemented extra protein. And when, you know, all of a sudden her blood goes down to the, to about 130 instead of 230, her blood sugar. And um, so at least that was better. I, I wasn't really 
I still felt like it wasn't best. But anyway, yeah, okay. later that week, that doctor just says, you know, there's nothing more we can do um, at these pressures and uh, the percent oxygen. She's, she can't even be, you know, we can't, there's nothing more we can do. She's, they didn't think she's going to survive. And um, so, and she was at, uh, she, anyway, she was, anytime they moved her, it's like her body would um, react and she would have to have a hundred percent oxygen. She was at high pressures and, uh, you know, so it was very life threatening because once you have a hundred percent oxygen going in and your saturation is going down, <laughs> you know, your body starts shutting down if your, satur- if your oxygen saturation in your blood isn't high enough. And so anytime they rolled her and you can't, you don't want to leave them on the same position in bed all the time. They need to bathe them, things like that for a lot of reasons. But anyway, um, there was another doctor coming on shift. They, they rotate doctors every week. Sure. So there's another, uh, pomologist coming on. And, um, so he came on a Monday and, um, I just said, you know, any other ideas, you know, and, he said, um, well, here, let me try a few things on the ventilator. This guy was pretty good with the ventilator and he messed around with things. But the best he could do after a couple of days of messing with that when working with the uh, respiratory therapist, they got her down to 85% oxygen and the pressure was what they call 15 peep. And that's the best they could do. And, it, and so she was fluctuating between 85 and 100 for days. And what is our normal range? Well, normally you're at normal oxygen, um, I'm not sure how the pressure works. I know that, but the percent oxygen, I think ambient air is 21%. So what we're breathing right now is 21% oxygen. Okay. And uh, so she had to be at 85 and that, but that, but the high pressure was there to kind of keep her lungs inflating. And the nurses were all saying, oh, there's, um, her lungs are clacking. They're getting hard. She has what they call uh, acute uh, respiratory distress syndrome. And, uh, they're all saying there's essentially no hope for her. And, um, they, the, and that doctor, he, he gave up and he just, you know, said, you know, and I, and I'm just like, they're wanting me to turn the machine off essentially. Um, I mean, they have a DNR or anything like that. I did not sign one. And did, did she like it? She didn't know. She did not have one. And I, And I was, um, they, they asked me to sign, to do one. And I says, no, I'm going to be here. She's having problems. I want to be here and, you know, I'll make that decision when we have to. And, um, anyway, we get, uh, finally when he gave up, I said, can you, can we finally get rid of that feed? And, uh, I really think you need to try putting her into ketosis and see what happens. And I'd done a little research and seen that there was like some mouse studies and a few things, found a few, you know, rare things that indicated it might work. And so he says, you know, if you, well, you know I'm, I'm fine. We could try a 72 hour fast to see what happens. So he just, they just turned the feet off. And, um, so anyway, we just sat there. Nothing much happened. Just kind of stayed steady on that 85%, you know, for the next 18 hours. And then all of a sudden, um, the respiratory therapist, I mean, she started getting higher saturation levels where it was high nineties, you know, near a hundred percent. So they started dropping it down after 18 hours, it started improving. And, um, and we see, and one thing I talked to the doctor, I said, I don't want to turn it off unless we really know that their x-rays are all you see on the X on a regular X chest x-ray is just foggy lungs. And I says, how do you know it's not something else that she couldn't possibly recover from? He says, if we do a CAT scan, I can get a lot more detail and tell for sure. And, um, but the problem is she was so bad off, even moving her to where you get to the CAT scan machine would kill her. And anyway, after that 18 hours, her numbers started to drop. She went to, she went to them from 85 to 80. And then within 24 hours, she was at 75 and uh, percent oxygen. So she improved by 10% oxygen. On the in, on the intake, um, and um, the doctor is Thanksgiving Day, and he's like, "Well, you know what? If we if we get her down to seventy percent, I think that gives me enough room there that we can go get the the CAT scan and tell you know at least then I have more of an informed decision on things." <clears throat> mm-hmm. 
we get, uh, anyway, um, we get down near the end of the day and she was at 70 and, um, but the doctor had left for Thanksgiving and, uh, he hadn't ordered the CAT scan cause he didn't think she'd ever get there. And, um, anyway, by the time he came back the next morning, she was at, uh, what was she at? I think she was at 60 at that point. And, uh, they did her blood work. It was better than it had been in over two weeks. I mean, her, they do a PF ratio and it was almost 150 when it was down in the 30s and 50s. And that's kind of a ratio that they use to kind of tell how well the lungs are functioning. So all of a sudden, instead of looking toward doing a, uh, instead of moving toward getting her a CAT scan to see how bad the damage was, they're like, all of a sudden they start messing around with their meds and trying to get her, because they were very high and it's, there's issues with being on that much, uh, of, you know, the paralytics and the, um, heavy sedation for so long that they, they're all of a sudden working to get her to go to a rehab facility. There was now there, now the doctors saw that there was, there's some hope. Oh, definitely. They were yeah. like, yeah, there's, there's definite hope at that point. And they were, so they start working to get her on a, and, and I, and I also had my family working on a tube feed so we could get food into her that was, didn't, that was very low carb. And we yeah. made some salmon head soup. And my son's actually, that's in medical school. He, he's a registered dietitian. And so he has experience on knowing how to fix that. And we made a salmon head soup and, um, you know, blended it up and strained it, got it all set. And, and we were given her, started giving her that in the tube feed. And anyway, she ultimately got down to 55% oxygen. So she went from 85 to 55. That's 30% increase. Um, better and all in the same pressure. Mm -hmm. They hadn't started messing with the pressure at that point. So anyway, um, their, their disease, uh, expert, their infectious disease expert came in and talked to me and he said, you know, with the kind of problems she's been through, just got to be prepared. Yeah. She's getting better, but there's been enough lung damage that more than likely she's going to get an infection and that's going to kill her. I mean, so they're, they, you know, and they said that there's, She's on the up, but she's severely compromised because of right. They said there's how long with that kind of scar happened. tissue. Even if she got out of the hospital, the next time she gets sick, it's easy for bacteria or whatever to get in there, and your lungs are not. It, it, it puts you in a very compromised state where you can get something else, and it'll take you later. And I, I was just kind of like, well, you know, at least we've got hope now, and um, things are moving in the right direction. We can. Um, I just said, you know, I'm just thinking, you know. Sorry, hon, you're going to be eating ketogenic the rest of your life. No more rice, no nothing, you know. You're going to do it to her what she's been. Yeah, yeah she's, she's been, been kind of insisting me do it. And isn't, now it's her turn, you know. It's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but anyway, it got – but then on the night of the 28th, they've been – they kind of warned me about the blood pressure meds. She's been having some issues with blood pressure. And um, the uh, – what happens is eventually they can start getting immune to them. They, they, because of all the sedation and the, uh, paralytics, they, the blood pressure sometimes gets too low. So they use another med to keep the blood pressure up. And, uh, anyway, they were trying to wean her off a lot of those. So she's got, she's like got that. meds to take to lower her blood pressure and now let's, now meds to raise her blood pressure at the same time. No. Or the, they pulled away no, the one the, and gave her the other. The sedation kind of does that. Oh, so she wasn't taking the... No, there was nothing to lower it. It was, they needed to raise it because of the sedation and the paralytics. Um, They, her blood pressure was low sometimes, so they had to give her that. And the problem is she was maxed out on that and they started becoming ineffective. This was part of the whole experience. This wasn't like a previous... No. Med she had no, 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 Oh, no, okay. No. I understand. No. I, no, thought, no, no. I thought you meant it was something no, she's been on for a while. No, it's just, this is an issue. Whenever somebody's okay. intubated in, in an ICU and they've got you on heavy sedation and uh, paralytic drugs, uh, chances are they're going to have to be messing with your blood pressure to keep it high enough that your body's able to, you know, pump your blood properly and all that. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, they became... She became started. Be, they come, became pretty much totally ineffective, and her BP went down to zero, and she passed. But like, like right in that in that moment when they well, were. it took. There was some problems through the night, and I was trying to get the doctors to you know come in and you know clarify. Anyway, it, they're very understaffed at the ICU as far as doctors wise. The nurses are essentially 
making decisions on, you know, life and death decisions on their own without doctors because the, the doctors just aren't there all the time. And, um, you know, and when you've got nurses telling you that, oh, she's not, you know, making it and they don't, and you, you know, you really, sometimes we, I felt like, no, you get a doctor in here. I want to, she'd been doing well. And all of a sudden, then all of a sudden it flipped and the blood pressure started being problems. And then the nurses weren't always accurate on what they're thinking the problem was. And so I wanted a doctor there and he's saying, oh, she's going bad. This is getting bad. And, you know, and I'm like, well, why? She was doing good just a few hours ago. And, uh, but anyway, it's very hard to get the doctor in there, uh, especially at night. And so that's kind of one of the complaints I have. But, you know, and then the doctors on the improvements, they, to them, that was just a fluke, you know, just kind of one of these fluke things that sometimes happen. But, um, so anyway, she essentially, her blood pressure went down to zero and, you know, I just, uh, she essentially just died and passed in my arms. But, um, Do you, and she was, um, still sedated or was she awake oh yeah, at any point? No, no, no. So she probably wasn't suffering. No, do I don't think she, yeah. No, she was heavily sedated and all that. So she wouldn't have, yeah, she wouldn't be. She would have just been asleep. Yeah. All this time. Yep. But, um, but anyway, I got look. So anyway, I got, anyway, after that, I felt like I needed to, that, ex, that experiment we did <clears throat> in the hospital. I mean, the doctor never expected anything to come of it. They just thought I'm crazy and, you know, but they got that gap that they really are not uh, trained in anything with nutrition. They don't understand how nutrition interacts with all their medications and the body and, and so forth. And the dietitians, they, their whole paradigm is, is modern diet. Yeah. And, um, I felt like I needed to write something up about it. So I just, I wrote something, I, I wrote up the experience and about how the oxygen level improved by, they were able to drop it to down 30%. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that can mean the difference between somebody being intubated and, you know, why didn't they do it way sooner? Why are we having to wait for last ditch effort when the yeah. doctors have all given up? And so I did a little more research. I wrote that up and I put some links in it and I started posting it on some Facebook groups, you know, ketogenic Facebook groups. And then, um, I got, uh, contacted by, Frank Yosa, the, you know, the guy that his company makes these, mm-hmm. and he's saying, and he pointed me to a study. Well, there was a write up. And so I added that to my blog, the write up he had in it. And it points out that the, um, uh, the whole f- theory was uh, it's essentially a scientific paper that, um, a bunch of researchers put together on a bunch of other studies. And the theory was that this, what they call the cyto- cytokine storm that's happening a lot with COVID, but it can happen with anything. I mean, it can happen with a lot of some like severe bodily stresses. Your body will go into this with the cytokine storm and you'll get respiratory failure. Mm-hmm. And it, but it happens with other, you know, viruses and flus. And, um, but it happens all too frequently with, um, COVID. And that theory in there is that it's fed by glucose. And so if you notice, um, and one thing I've noticed with like my wife being Filipino is that they have extremely high population of diabetics and same with our native American populations. You look in Utah or you look at the map that the state puts out and you look at the corner where the Navajo reservation is and they're getting hit ex- way harder than the rest of the population and our Pacific Islanders. And all that. Is it because they don't have the history with these poor foods? That we yeah. do, I think yeah. they're. I think they're not as adapted as we are to agricultural, and, and I think everybody's different. But I think what's happened is we get our bodies get insulin resistant to where we're eating a lot of carbohydrates, and um, it gets to where the insulin becomes that counteracts those and helps, you know, tells your body to store it as fat or whatever. It it um, becomes less and less effective, and so you end up with too much glucose in your blood. And that feeds that cytokine storm. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I found out that there's actually a, um, he told me about another study that just started. And like a week after this happened, just a week ago, I mean, there, there's a study that had just started based on that paper. And except instead of 
putting people into ketogenics through a fast like we did, which took 18 hours, they're using ketone esters. And it's happening within uh, half an hour. And what's, what's happening in half an hour? The improvements in oxygen. Okay, okay. So they're actually getting very similar improvements in oxygen. You know, on that, the, that you experienced with your wife. Yeah, with, mm-hmm. yeah, they're saying they're getting like 20, 25%. You know, we saw 30% improvement, but they only had done it with like one or two people so far. So I don't know how it's getting now, but it essentially was replicating what we saw in our experiment with, you know, except they were using the ketone esters to boost it. So anyway, I've, I think this is just something that the problem is, is that ketone esters are like a food supplement. And mm-hmm. FDA doesn't allow any kind of, uh, yeah, you know, supplement. Yeah, they don't. Anyway, it's going to take years of testing. Meanwhile, people are getting this happening all the time. The doctors are giving high glucose feeds that feed that cytokine storm, and they don't realize that they're actually making it worse in a lot of cases than anyway. Yeah, it's um, anyway. So with. The experience you had with your wife, with her getting, with her improving there at the end, mm-hmm. you you think is pretty good evidence that if this sort of thing is started earlier, then we could we could be saving lives with this. They've been doing it on mice, simulating the same situation, and it's mm-hmm. been very effective. And they just haven't done much with humans, and they're just starting that now. Um, and we did it late. I mean, if it seems like the ketone, if you're burning ketones instead of glucose. My understanding is it requires less oxygen in the burn. And I don't know, it, it's something I wish I'd have had these and we could have just tried it, you know, right off the bat. Yeah. And maybe it's, if it can improve, I don't know if it would, I don't know if your lungs are in the same state. I mean, because her lungs at that point were like really bad. It would have been nice to be able to try it when they weren't so bad and, and then not have to keep her on the ventilator so long or maybe even totally prevent being on the ventilator. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, 30% O2 differences, it's not insignificant. That's that's a huge difference. You you wouldn't classify it as a fluke? No, not at all. And, it's, and I was, it's funny that they would say, oh, it's a fluke when it they wouldn't have, have happened without your interventions. They have, they have no experience treating people with ket- and using ketosis. Ketosis is not a state. Well, it's such a small niche thing right now anyways that, you know what I mean, like just in the general pop. Oh, yeah. People don't know. Most people don't know anything about this. Right. They don't realize your body has a second fuel source. I mean, even though evolutionarily that was the main <laughs> source, people went without food for a long time. They ended up, uh, you know, they were eating a lot of f- meat and f- fats and they weren't getting fruits in a lot of cases and starchy vegetables. So really evolutionarily, that's how we develop. But now it's so uncommon that, you know, it's not even considered, you know, as far, you know, medically. And anyway, so this is kind of really new, but it's something that I think really needs a lot of attention. So, I mean, they need to start trying it more. I mean, what does it hurt to try a food supplement instead of just immediately intubating somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the many issues with having a central planning. Yeah. Monopolistic central planning exactly. around these type of decisions. Yeah, they put that we've obviously had for decades. Mm-hmm. And it creates a behemoth that is incredibly hard to m- move and to steer. Exactly. Yeah. I do wonder, though, because there are – there's a lot of countries, a lot of first world industrialized nations without our particular FDA, obviously, all the rest. And I do wonder if there's anywhere in the world that has a, actually, a bit more progressive on this. Actually, there's some researchers – um, that are doing this too, also out of Italy. And they're starting to do a lot more research in this area. And, uh, I'm, yeah, there's a researcher out of Italy that I'm hoping will, if we can get some attention on it, there'd be, um, it sounds like he's open to taking interviews from what I've understood. Um, you probably, yeah, try contacting but, him. And yeah. So I, anyway, hopefully I, he I speaks English. <laughs> he's, yeah. I don't know. Translate. Yeah. But I've heard he's doing some similar and then that he's going to start trying these. He's heard about the other study and is going to try these ketone esters. And I don't know if they have more freedom there to really do more. But I believe he's at, uh, you know, like a teaching hospital, which they do even in the States have more 
um, you know, the, you know, the medical schools are and so forth. They have a little more leeway in trying things like this and getting, so anyway, it's starting to happen, but who knows how long it's going to, you know, and, but I think one thing that people need to keep in mind is, um, I don't think if she was eating, staying away from carbs, I don't think she'd have had that lung flare up. I I think it was fueled by eating the carbs. What? Um, I understand that vitamin D has been, there was a study out of Belgium that showed that the people that have the worst time with this have been severely vitamin D deficient. She was taking vitamin D. Was she? Oh yeah. She was taking vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, all that. But she, I guess, got a little lax on the diet side and was eating more of the comfort food. And she was diabetic. And she's diabetic. And so that is that considered a comorbidity? Oh yeah. Okay. And so what I think is happening, and then when you're sick too, sometimes like she was always controlling it with just metformin, you know, with the drugs instead of actual insulin. But I think when you get sick, sometimes your body doesn't behave quite the same way. And so I think she started getting flooded with too much glucose, and then that kind of kicked off that cytokine storm that they talk about that just it starts destroying your lungs. That's what it looks like happened. So I, I I don't know. I think people need to understand that. I mean, I've got in my blog. I'll give it to you. It's on. Uh, yeah, I'll link to all that. Yeah, definitely. I, I just yeah, this, this I just threw one real about. quick. It, it, I just call it healthy hunter gatherer. It's on dot blogspot dot com. Okay, but it, I got some links to that study and also that write up. And the write up has a lot of graphics that kind of explains the mechanisms if somebody's got a scientific bent. But essentially, glucose drives that. And so I think people need to know that if you're starting to feel symptoms, I would stay away from carbs like the plague. You know, because not everybody knows. Well, it's probably good advice just regularly too. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I get sick way less than ever before, but avoiding that. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, man. That really stinks. Yeah, it's been tough, but I don't know. I'm, I kind of wanted to just tell all this because I figured at least, I mean, she didn't make it, but I think peop- what we learned could hopefully help others prevent a lot of heartache and yeah, suffering. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy to, to release this into the wild. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a large podcast or anything, but. Yeah. I, yeah, if it helps, if it's helpful to anybody, I think that would be great. And uh, I'm glad you're writing about it. And we definitely got to try to get in contact with that Italian doctor and have you yeah. interviewed with him too. Cause it's just, I know that YouTube, like when this started, they made their policy that if there's any videos that's not on the party mm-hmm. line, oh yeah, they're going to remove it. I don't really, I don't want to hate on YouTube for that. Because I don't think that was entirely their decision. I think I think a lot of these decisions made by these big companies are defensive positions. Are. Yeah, I agree. And because you have the biggest, most dangerous monopolist in the world that's at your front door and wants to control you in yeah. all kinds of different ways. And they're always looking for an excuse for that. So it sucks and I hate it that they, they do that. But I don't know that it's – it's. Um, I don't think they're trying to silence people. I don't think it's as nefarious. I, it's it's the influence from I think the a lot government. of it is that yeah. yeah, it's they just don't want mm-hmm. to be targeted, yeah. and they're being targeted for antitrust and all kinds of stuff oh, anyway. Yeah. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Maybe maybe some of these guys should be a little braver and stand yeah. up, but you know whatever. Yeah, their responsibilities to their shareholders. I get that. I don't know. Are you feeling any different? After all this, <laughs> I don't know. Should I go for a run here? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not something that really boosts you as far as sprinting run. Slow run, it helps, but not for. But yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not in shape. I'm not conditioned. Yeah. Um, my diet isn't. I mean, I f- what it should. I mean, be. I feel plenty <laughs> alert and all that, but I don't know that I'm. You you look you look great. You definitely um, have been eating this way and having having yeah. a really good experience with it for a while. And I think a lot of people have. Yeah, I'm just full of excuses. <laughs> well, I mean, it, on the all. ketone esters, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I'm really feeling a big boost from them. See, but I think it's because I'm in ketosis all the time. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's a question of what am I supposed to be feeling. I usually don't have anything. Just some water because I'm recording mm-hmm. my podcast in the morning, so I drink water to kind of smooth things up. I drink a couple glasses and then I have like my coffee and I put like uh yeah some turmeric creamer and some mushroom stuff and I pack it full of stuff stevia instead of sugar or anything. 
plus the, the coffee itself. And I have that usually around 10 o'clock. Um, but I don't eat anything until I come home from my first shift around two. Mm-hmm. And then you can, so I just too. have the two meals and then just the coffee. Yeah. Until I eat. So I'm not, I think the coffee's interrupting any sort of ketosis. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> because the coffee's got all kinds of stuff. So that, that ends the fast, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's just interesting to try. We'll, and, um, I'm going to keep an eye on that study and see what happens. Cause if that, uh, affects lung capacity or, you know, your lungs ability to absorb more oxygen. Anyway, it could be huge. Anyway. How are your kids doing? It's been tough for everybody because everybody was really close to Anna. I mean, my kids got to where, uh, and then grandkids, I've got six grandkids and they're always been asking, Oh, can we go sleep over at Anna's house? You know, it's not grandpa's, it's Anna's house, you know, and, um, so they were like extremely, uh, you know, attached to her and, um, uh, our son, he's been having a hard time. It's getting a little better. Luckily my, uh, my family's all around close and my, um, daughter from Iowa, she's been staying for the last few weeks. And so that it's been good having them grandkids around. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it is. I, uh, my uh, my grand my maternal grandmother my last of my grandparents she's eighty six and she and a couple of other people in her nursing home got it mm. so this is a nursing home that's been locked down to visitors yeah if you did went and visit you had to wear a hazmat suit type stuff <laughs> and she she didn't have a terrible experience she's kind of had dementia the last few years kind of degrading in that way mm-hmm. but pretty much for the last ten years ever since her second husband passed away she's been done. She's been wanting to go, but she's active Mormon and everything. So she's not going to do it herself. Right. Cause she's yeah. afraid of all that, but she's been looking for a way out. And so she got it and she really didn't have any much symptoms, but her oxygen levels started going down and down to the point where the DNR that she had signed, I guess, came into play and they took her off the oxygen or whatever. And she passed in her sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's uncle, passed away from it. He was 74 and he was a diabetic and he was obese and he was an alcoholic. His wife, who was obese, I don't think she was, she may have been a diabetic. I don't know. She, I don't think she drank as much alcohol as him. She's 71. She survived it. How old was your wife? Just 48. 48. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is one of those moments that for a long time, you didn't know anybody. Most people don't know anybody yeah. that, that got sick or that passed. But then slowly the last few months, well, it, it's starting to. It does seem people. to be hitting people with those comor- comorbidities. So, I don't know. I've kind of gotten to the point where I it it's really more of a, I think a, I think it's a, a much bigger diet issue than what people realize. It's it's not just a virus issue. It's a diet issue, and yeah, they're gonna you're gonna get the you might be able to get your vaccine and that, but this happens every year. I mean, even one of the, the doctors in the emergency, you know, in the ICU was telling me that. Um, they see this all the time, even before COVID. It's just more a little more prevalent now with COVID, but it, it it's been happening forever. There's um there's a guy I think he's a I think he's a dietitian. The guy on YouTube from Ireland that's been doing viral updates. His name's Ivor Cummins. He's actually an engineer. Okay, I think he started his YouTube channel for like dietary health yeah, reasons. It is. No, it is. He's in the same kind of thing. I listen to Ivor quite uh, yeah, a bit. Yeah, he's got yeah. some really great updates. He does. Kind of keeps things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you might try reaching out to him too. I already did. did you? Okay. <laughs> I haven't heard back though. I think they get. He's he, probably getting a lot more they, they attention get, these days. I think they get so much. You know, you do their contact me forms on their web pages, and I think they get so much, and they look at it and it kind of. Well, how's this? He, by him. No. I think he was on Tom Woods. I think, was it Tom I Woods? I sent something to Tom Woods, too. I'm well, he was there. on Tom Woods. Tom uh, Woods knows Connor, and I know Connor. So, we've just got to get the message oh. to that grapevine, right? And I sent a message to Connor, too, but he didn't Connor, reply, Connor, send this to Tom. Tell him to send it to Ivor, who was a guest. <laughs> There's got to be a pathway here. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, because I think they'd be very interested. I think, especially Ivor Cummins, he'd be very interested in it because you know and i think somebody and then one of them getting in contact with some of the researchers too that are involved with with this it, yeah, i mean it's just huge. surprise i haven't looked in a couple of weeks but i'm is this youtube still up i'm surprised he's managed to 
to hang on. Ivor Cummins, he's managed to hang on to his YouTube channel and not been. He's yeah. just doing like official statistics. So I think that's as long as he, he sticks to a sticks to that. Well, something like this would be really controversial, and there'll be, uh, you know, right. I anyway, see anyway, how it goes. All right, man. We'll we'll turn this off for well over an hour, and I think we've gotten through the story. So thank, thank you for you. telling it. I'm I'm happy to release it, and if it's helpful to anybody, again, I'll have your Facebook Facebook link, and they can message you through there. Sounds if, great. If they yeah. want to chat about it, and you're open to that. Definitely. So. You know, yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, this is really a rough situation, but I feel like if it can help anybody else, you know, I, I think this is important. It needs more. It needs more study, yeah, but I think there's some things people can do now to help minimize their symptoms and prevent this kind of situation. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.